Welcome to the latest episodes of Two GPs in a Pod. This is a podcast about the full breadth of primary care and clinicians doing something inspiring or outside the box. Today's episode is really, really important. So important, in fact, that I've had to bring in two people into it. So today, actually, we're three GPs in this pod. So why is it important? Well, we're covering some meaty stuff today. We're lucky to have two academic GP trainees to talk about a part of primary care that I think isn't so lauded in the UK compared to other countries and other specialties. And we're also going to move into some pretty important stuff regarding positivity, thriving at work, and in life, actually, um, and the small matter of happiness. So it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Dipesh Gopal and Ebrahim Muller um, to the pod. So welcome, guys. Um, Let's start with maybe you guys introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about your roles. Hi. um, Yeah, I'm Dipesh. I'm uh, ST4. Um, and academic clinical fellow at um, Queen Mary University of London. So I do four clinical sessions and I do six sessions of academia, research, teaching, that sort of thing. So hi, I'm Ibrahim Muller. Uh, I'm a GPST3 trainee from Leicester. Um, I'm an academic, uh, similar to Dipesh, I'm an academic clinical fellow with, uh, but with the University of Nottingham. Uh, and I split my week, uh, five sessions of clinical, pra- uh, of clinical GP training, five sessions of academic GP training. So let's just start with, so this might not be something that's familiar to everyone. What is academic um, like what is being an ACF academic clinical fellow in the context of primary care and why did you choose it guys who wants to take that one I think I, I'm, I'm going to jump in yeah, jump in on, right there yeah, yeah yeah so I mean I suppose I, I just want to tell you a bit more about the journey that I had Go and why it. I got into it um, so I think I I sort of finished my BSc in physiology but wasn't massively enthused by sort of the, the cell, cellular science basically but I enjoyed the sort of writing papers, that sort of thing, research projects. Um, I think I always wanted to do general practice. And so I started researching it online and trying to work out, you know, is this a real thing and what does it involve? What's the end goal? That sort of thing. And there's one quote that just stood out for me um, by Paul Freeling, who's regarded as one of the sort of founders of academic general practice. Right. Um, and he was talking about um, if you're in clinical practice, you can help thousands of patients. Um, if you're teaching medical students and young doctors, then you're going to change the lives of hundreds of thousands of patients. By, but by doing academia research, you're changing the way we practice to changing the lives of millions. And I just hold yeah. to that like every single day, basically. You're thinking, how am I going to make clinical care better? Um, not knocking clinical practice, because I'm doing clinical practice as well, maybe not seven, eight sessions, but academia the actual changing of practice and making clinical care better for patients and sort of a zoomed out level i'm sort of quite enthused with in love with yeah that's really interesting and how about you ever um so i've come from it from a slightly different perspective i i would say that um i actually got into academia a little bit by accident um and it was actually due to um i, I wouldn't classify myself as an academic in the in the conventional sense but i kind of um i kind of applied for the acf because i was curious about how we could uh, influence the evidence underpinning what we do and why we do it in primary yeah. care. Um, you know, I did my, uh, I've gone straight from kind of medical school, I did integration at university and foundation training and GP training. And actually, from working in my GP training in foundation year, I kind of was questioning myself, why are we doing this? And, you know, what, what's the evidence behind this? And when I took a little bit of a closer look, sometimes I kind of came across little bits where actually the evidence was more secondary care based and the actual evidence for doing what we do in primary care wasn't really, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the wrong thing to do, but it just wasn't there. And, we, and I think as, a, as, a, as somebody who wants to understand, you know, are we really doing what, the right thing by ourselves, but also by our patients? Um, uh, I kind of then went down this route and it's kind of led to this journey where I'm now um, doing my own, uh, kind of taking up a research, pro- uh, my own little research project looking at how we look after the most vulnerable older people in uh, primary care, which I think is an area that is still quite developing. Uh, yeah. And I think there's a lot of mm. potential there to really not just change the way that we practice, but feel more fulfilling in the way that we practice. But, and by the by, you know, really improve the clinical care that we can offer patients. Really interesting. So quite two quite varied paths into um, academia. Um, 
I, I just want to... Dipesh, we've talked about this before, mm. um, and I just want to touch on this because... And I'd mentioned it at a kind of opening spiel. So primary care and academia, mm. um, quite a interesting relationship, perhaps. Mm. Um, do you want to touch on that? Why isn't it so popular? Um, I think I think when you say the word academic, I think a lot of people sort of think don't always relate it to primary care. Yeah, and sort of it does a little bit tie into. Um, I'm going to bring it up. The WAS report. Okay. By choice. What's this? Not by, this is a report done by Health Education England, yep. 2016, by Valerie Wass, who's a professor in general yep. practice. Yep. You can look it up, basically, or your listeners can look it up. Um, and sort of, because I think academia, people, people don't really understand what academia is. And so I'll, I'm going to go briefly into the roles and what the report is, was really about, basically. Okay. Yep. So in terms of things I do, so you'll give, you often tagged on to projects you're helping on projects which um i'm i'm really a sort of an advocate for doing stuff that's really pragmatic and not too far away from clinical practice and you don't you don't want you want to do research that's going to be directly applicable there shouldn't be a gap or implement implementation gap mm-hmm. um and sort of the other things we, we we do are sort of teaching examining um Informal mentoring, so you get a lot of like junior doctors going, "Oh, this is really interesting. What is this about? What? How do I get into this?" Um, and so these are some of the things that we do in academia. Yeah. With regards going back to the report, basically one of the things was saying that people don't always see primary care sort of academics, and um, often don't see them because they're either in clinical practice or they are not. The departments are away from where they work. So you can, like, often you'll find the academic office is right next to the university, which is next to the hospital. Correct. Yeah, However, yeah. your general clinical practice is probably miles away from the primary care department, for example. Um, and my sort of thing why we're, we're, why me and Ebra are sort of sitting here today is because if we are, if as a specialty we are actively improving the research base for why we exist, That'll that will create better um, a better evidence base for GP as a specialty because it needs to be seen as specialty. I think you know we are slowly moving away that people you know don't think you know you're not specialising in GP absolutely and it, yeah. you know it, it is a specialty. It's got a research base. It's emerging, and the minute we start doing that means that actually uh, within the specialty we are seen as a specialty. Uh, between other specialties, they they're going to get a bit more respect for us. And it's not really about respect, but it's how we are perceived and how we are seen. And that sort of filters down to the public. Like you, you, you'll get a lot of, um, you'll still get some people sort of saying, well, you, you, we've all probably had it. You know, you, you, you sort yeah. of go to like, you know, friends, family, they're sort of like, oh, you're a GP, so um, you didn't choose to specialise. Well, when that, are you going to specialise? Yeah, when are you going to yeah. specialise? So it's, it, it's, it's profoundly frustrating, but I think as soon as people see that actually, you know, it's not just... We're giving out lots of things that we don't really understand. Actually, it's a really good research base. It's really difficult but fulfilling job, and um, it's a really great specialty to be a part of. And that's sort of why, why, why we champion academia. Really, that's really interesting. And so you, you mentioned the the West report, and mm. it's by choice, by but not by chance. Um, interestingly, just reflecting on the things that you said, yeah. um, and in terms of your how you got into general practice. Mm. So Dipesh, you're the kind of by choice. And Ebra, you're the by chance. Well, well, saying that, actually, I I would say that actually I've always, having done a, when I did my foundation practice, when I did my foundation placement in general practice, I absolutely loved it. And I made a conscious decision not to take a year out, uh, to actually go straight into GP training. Yeah. And I think, I think I fell into general practice actually by choice, but I'd say I fell into academia by chance. Yeah, yeah. Um, In that sense. So uh, it is a little bit. It was just a little. Yeah, just to clarify. I, I, but kind of picking up on the points that Dipesh said about kind of why this is so important, uh, I would say that you know we you know we we you know we have to uh, create that kind of um, I think one of the things about it is that we need to create the perceptions as well. Perceptions are really important because it's how we you know how we frame uh, general practice because 
if we are do if we if we if we have um, if academia is see, is seen in uh, seen as underpinning what we do and how we do it, it already is in, in in different areas. But actually bringing that to the forefront, then we can have a lot more confidence in what we do. And mm. when we uh, convert, when we kind of cross, when we speak with uh, specialists in hospital, and I know it sounds really silly. Uh, people say the word specialist, but I I sometimes use the word partialist in a way because yeah. as generalists, uh, mm. as GPs, we are generalists. We yeah. look at the whole human body. We look at not just the medical aspect, it, medical class, but we have a big focus on the psych- psychological aspects and also the social aspects as well, the communities, how people, why people do what they it's do. It's that interaction of um, that of with that person, isn't it, with, in their life, yeah. around it, them, and those all, all and those all the people around them as well. Yeah. Which yeah. you know, we, we see families. Whereas sometimes, when you know, with, with this kind of the the, the specialists. Uh, there is a little bit. Um, we they, they tend because they're in hospital. They tend not to see that. They tend to focus on, you know, organ systems. Mm. And I think actually, as a general, as a generalist, there's, that's something really, really special. And that's yeah. what really drove me into general mm. practice and attracted me there. And I think if we can promote that and actually say this is and this is why I enjoy doing the job that I do, mm. is because you know it's yeah. it's it's that whole that it's very fulfilling. Yeah. Go for it. I, yeah. I, I was going to jump in there just to sort of corroborate what what you said. I think sort of more and more we're looking at determinants of health aren't we like we're looking at you know the stuff that marmot did about the social determinants of health um and sort of a person's health this has come from like the health foundation i think a few years ago did a really nice infographic looking at what determines someone's health and the interaction and access to health is like what 10 20 percent and there's the other stuff that makes a difference so genetics the place they work um people who they live with other things completely unrelated to what we call traditional healthcare. And general practice is sort of ideally situated. Um, though arguably, I think a lot of people think that the things things that we do are quite far downstream, sort of the deter- social determinants of health. But there's lots of things we can do, and we do do, day in, day out. That's really interesting, and I want to come back to that. Um, just, just, I just wanted to um, kind of just signpost a couple of interesting resources. If people, if that resonates with people, actually, there's some really, there's two really good YouTube videos. So, um, John Griffiths, um, who is a GP, did a TED talk. Um, so, if you search for that, and it's it's about the the importance of generalism um, versus specialism, and how actually, you know, over the last uh, maybe twenty to fifty years society has lauded specialism and actually now people are starting to appreciate the importance of generalism so that's a really interesting one and also and so another one from Ian Panja I think it was also mm. um, a TEDx uh, talk mm. um, so do check those out uh, they're both um, really really good um, summaries and uh, kind of introducing this topic of the importance of generalism so so and I'll put a link to them on, on, on the site as well but there's some really important things if people want to kind of look into that a little bit more um, you also touched in on this thing of social determinants, so, so mm. let's let's go to this because <laughs> this I is think really I... interesting. And, and and because you know a lot of GPs will say, well, that's the domain of public health. This mm. is so what we we we're supposed to do things a bit more downstream because the actual this actual stuff has to be done by public health, inter, which has actually interestingly is quite topical at the moment mm. because you know Matt Hancock's talking lots about. Um, prevention etc mm. um yet at the same time um you know public health budgets have been cut so mm. so how 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 do we as clinicians and maybe academics um kind of understand what needs to be in the realm of public health and what needs to be in the realm of primary care does there need to be a boundary mm. um and or how yeah how do we mm. get that right that bit right i think i think from my, i think my point of view i think well, again, sort of going back to the academia stuff, I think a lot of primary, not all all public health departments, but some public health departments are closely linked with primary care. Like the Danic, like Queen Mary's, where where I work, the this department is called T- Department of Primary Health and Primary Care and Public Health. Let's yeah. get it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but will be, will formally be, be named as Population Health Sciences. Yeah. So yeah. like a really big expanse. Um, Recognizing um, the, the the intermingling and the merging. Of course, it does. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, if if you deviate from that, if you deviate from from sort of primary care and public health, you, we risk going down sort of this weird sort of partialist. I think Emma talked about you, the weird partialist thing where you segment everything and this is my job and siloing things. You know, yeah. for without good. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of things that have have started from um, from primary care and then branched out to public health and vice versa like i think we were talking about before like 
you know, park run stuff is great. I think one, yeah. I saw what was on Twitter last weekend, one of the chief practices has started, um, the doctors are running with the patients, That's <laughs> which has actually changed the metabolic markers for the patients. They've lost weight. And, and probably the GPs as well. Yeah, probably the GPs it's as quite well. a sedentary job, isn't it? <laughs> the biscuits at tea time are not good. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd, I'd add to that, really, in that um, from my limited experience of actually yeah, how we, you know, what academia is doing, is that one of my supervisors is a public health consultant. Um, mm. Not from a medical background. Actually, I've got two supervisors. One's a professor of primary care, one, uh, Dr. Mm. Elizabeth Thornton, public health consultant, uh, who also does academia as well. And it's really, it's really interesting seeing the different perspectives as mm. well on the issues, because obviously our trainings are quite different. Uh, but I think there's so much value, value in that. Yeah, and, and you could even um, go further downstream, as it were, if we, if we use that metaphor, mm. of saying actually even with integrating and kind of having better... Um, relationships with secondary care mm. is so important as well. Mm. So actually, you know, I, I like what you talk about, about kind of that breaking mm. of barriers and breaking of silos and kind of not having this kind of territorialness, as it were. Tribalism. Um, Tribalism. Yeah, yeah, and it does feel quite tribal, especially sometimes between primary mm. and secondary care. And, you know, that, that has multiple reasons, multifaceted, I think. But I, I think I, I, just to bring it back to something you said earlier of, you know, there is this perception sometimes with some, and I wouldn't say it's with all of secondary care, but... You know, there is this perception that perhaps primary care and general practice is actually something lesser or you've chosen the easy life or something Ooh. like that. <laughs> what do you think about that? You okay. know, I mean, you've yeah. touched on it before, yeah. but it perhaps does affect recruitment. Yeah. It perhaps does affect our relationships yeah. sometimes um, and, and maybe yeah. exacerbates that tribalism a little bit. I mean, that was that that is sort of the essence, exactly what what the by choice yeah, not by chance. Report is all about, but yeah. I mean, it's it's talking about this tribalism. It's talking about cheapy bashing, but also self denigration as well. Mm. Like uh, I think Helen Stokes Lampard just sort of said, you know, if you're having a bad day, talk to a colleague. If you're having a good day, talk to a student. Um, and if you sort of if you feel your sort of your job is awful, and actually this is not making a difference, then that sort of it, you, it's all it, you're self talking yourself into it. That this is this is not necessarily good, and that is what a lot of people see. Like we, you know, that the whole thing about you know communication, most of the communication yeah. is non-verbal and the yeah. tone rather yeah. than actually what you say. Yeah, um, and that you know you can get sort of bad vibes, and that's sort of what what sort of the whole the whole problem that's outlined in the report talks about that we should that we should be championing, proud proud of the job, and you know it doesn't always feel like you're making a difference, especially when you're sort of caught up in um, payment for, for performance like quaff and all this sort of stuff which doesn't it sort of takes away the sort of weird autonomy that we have about really trying to make a change because yeah. you're just chasing these like Correct. weird targets and stuff yeah. Yeah. that's really interesting yeah just to add on to that i think it's really interesting you mentioned just about targets and the kind of uh, one thing that really kind of piqued my interest was about kind of looking at the motivation about why we do what we do uh, and i had i saw this really interesting talk by dan pink it's on youtube it's uh, talking about the intrinsic motivators of uh, intrinsic motivators rather than extrinsic motivators so mm. the extrinsic motivators are things like carrot and stick so we pay you you do you do this sort of thing, you know, target-led. Whereas actually, w- what they found is that those sort of unsophisticated methods of motivating people are, are only really good for the really simple tasks, but actually for the more sophisticated, particularly the stuff that we're doing in primary care, pretty much most of it really, um, is is actually the extrinsic motivators, the, kind of s- the self-direct, self-direction mm-hmm. is actually a lot more mm-hmm. important. Yeah. So the three big things that came from that, I hope for, were about having autonomy, yeah. about, uh, so being able to choose what you do and why you do, you know, uh, choose why you do what you do it yeah. mastery being able to kind of look at the be a master of uh, a discipline or a, a, a yeah. sort uh, and purpose a good reason why you do what you do and kind of leads on to a little bit about someone called Simon Sinek yep. who yep. is uh, is kind of growing in yeah, kind yeah. of um, kind of recognition in the sense of his big thing is about kind of look at why you do what you do because if you start with the why of why we are doing general practice why we are training as general practitioners it really kind of leads to that sort of you, you yourself will be doing the things that you need to do and um, kind of links back to as GP trainees and I think we have to kind of put a big caveat here that yeah. we mean Dipesh are just GP trainees we aren't GPs we don't know how it is to be a full-time GP because we're, we're still in GP training but the big why the big kind of uh, why of our GP training is that we really mm. have to sometimes 
when we see sometimes a disconnect between what we are ha- what we are doing to kind of meet arbitrary targets, for example, that sometimes feel a bit disconnected from actually w- you know the G- the reason why we're doing GP mm-hmm. training. Because the reason why we're doing GP training, in my in my view, is actually we need to pre- uh, equip ourselves with the skills, not actually the knowledge, but the skills. So the ability to synthesize knowledge, to keep to to have the ability to keep um, to learn how to keep our knowledge updated over however long. For me, it might be forty years of kind of practice about having being able to do that but also kind of the the, the other skills the softer skills as mm-hmm. well the leadership things that are really really important that are growing and a big uh, 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 priority now with the the college the Royal College of General Practitioners and actually I think it's really important that we sometimes maybe have us take a step back and look at our GP training and think actually you know if I'm going to this GP uh, Nishman Lake wrote a really good article I just read this morning is about uh, how, our, how our GP training is oh, yeah. sometimes a little bit you know we hospital, hospital specialists will come in talk about a very kind of niche aspect of it and actually the learning point for the GP trainees is that actually this isn't really relevant to what we are doing in primary care and taking a step and thinking actually what would be really relevant to have in our GP training is you know a, a primary care uh, a, a general practitioner coming in maybe with a specialist interest um, and talking about the really relevant take-home points that you can then mm. take away with you implying your clinical practice yeah it, that community mm. angle is really important which mm. which um, you know some specialists may have um, especially with uh, you know things becoming more integrated. So, for example, if you look at what um, Imperial are doing in terms of integrating um, the training of pediatricians and and, mm. and GPs, for example, you know to 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 get those two parts to understand what's mm. going on. But you've touched on something interesting in 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 terms of how perhaps our own CPD and um, kind of development mm. is very skewed, and, uh, and actually medical education in general is very skewed mm. towards secondary care often. Um, although I would argue that in some places that's really changing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, really interesting. Um, you touched on this why um, <laughs> something that's really hard, I think, for policymakers and people who create um, who are obsessed with performance and outcomes to to I guess integrate into our daily work because a lot of the things that I guess surround the why is quite unmeasurable perhaps um, but let's let's come to that so I think we've got we've had we've had a really good flavor thank you of like why you've become academic mm. trainees and and what why um, that's really important mm. perhaps maybe let's talk about like work and life and balance mm. um, let's let's start with that what, what are your angles with that let's Ibra why don't you jump in uh, so um, for me it's been a bit of a journey myself actually because um, I've learned a lot about myself uh, during kind of medical school foundation training and GP training and, the, and this as well and the increasing demands now with kind of on my time and kind of energy uh, particularly as well and the things that I do for example I've t- recently taken up uh, kind of longer distance running so I went from kind of running kind of up to like 5k's now to running a bit you know we're talking kind of double digit you know miles uh, just kind of just it really clear clear my head I find actually really works for me because I, I, one of the things I found was when I was at medical school I used to play hockey uh, I wasn't very, I wasn't particularly good, uh, but I, you know, I kind of was there to join, you know, to, to support the team. And when you, when you, one of the big things I find is that when you jump from medical school down to foundation training, is that a lot of the time you're moving to somewhere different. Mm-hmm. Um, you by the time you you know it's, it's all new, and then you you set, have set up new connections again, and because of the road system that we work, you know how we you know it, it's part and parcel of kind of being a doctor is that actually the usual kind of coping mechanisms that we have, you know the kind of uh, spending time you know doing physical activity. This kind of links into the kind of the five pillars of well being, really kind of yeah. those kind of things that keep our mental well being kind of on point. Actually. Um, the, work, the job in itself actually takes, uh, you know, prevent, uh, you know, it prevents us doing that. And we have to sometimes consciously look at that and think, actually, how are we, you know, we, we are meeting these needs that we have, our own psychological needs, because we all have psychological needs. And when they're not met, um, it tends to lead to not really good stuff happening to ourselves. Yeah. And then think to yourself, and for me, me personally, it was a little thing about how do you, then I, I kind of thought about, this isn't working for me. Why am I not enjoying this why am I kind of now binge eating emotionally eating why am I um, not why am I not kind of I'm putting on weight why am I um, not feeling so happy and then I realized actually wait I'm not what am I what things I was doing and what the things I could do to try and change that and then took up running started spending more making conscious decisions to spend time with my friends and because of the four like four month rotation as well by the time you actually do set down kind of you Mm. know roots you then have to move on again and again uh, it is a little bit um Mm. uh, it it is it is stressful so so running was an important thing for you um how about you Depeche I'm gonna sort of sort of go go back to the principles I hold by and these are sort of ones I've come across over the last year. We 
we've talked a lot about this ever like yeah. loads and loads and loads <laughs> like for hours on end literally about about sort of where we're coming from and you know purpose and happiness and where does it all come from you know having to sort of consume so much sort of media around sort of the well-being the happiness the purpose all this sort of thing and all sort of roots lead to the relationship you have with yourself that's as far mm. as I as far as I can see it that's what I, I I can see is the is so paramount to everything the relationship you have with yourself mm-hmm. um and sort of I w- I was sort of we, we were talking about this before about I think I'm going to signpost another one of your podcasts with Farah Gerald before Jarrell, yep. met her the other day actually as well yeah, yeah. proper fanboy vibes yeah, I got great. she's great yeah yeah so about the sort of anti resilience yeah like speak you know and how that sort of affecting well the resilience thing and GP so and how it's mutated how, how it's mutated yeah. so yeah the resilience thing sort of are you resilient increase your personal resilience so resilience almost it kind of means that for me it means that you might not be strong enough. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can be taken like that in, mm. in a way. Increase your personal resilience, so increase your strength, which also implies that I'm not strong enough. But anyway, sort of going to the to, to the self thing. So this is this is sort of from one of the books I read, Seven Habits of Highly Successful Highly Successful People. I think yeah. it's that that book, yeah, by Covey. So he talks about emotional bank accounts. Okay, so let's say you go to work every day, you enjoy it. That's a deposit in your account great you're in the black right fantastic you do too much work it's going to be a withdrawal you're going to take out of your account you're going to go into the red and that's a sort of burnout manifest you know you do do the same thing too much and you're not getting the, avo- the enjoyment from it you're getting a withdrawal right and sort of what is the antidote to this you know because you know we're, we're you know budgets are being cut we have to do more with less resources it's exhausting how is this going to end up and it, it's difficult, you know, I think, what is it, 40% of, is it 40% of GPs are going to retire or leave in the next five years, which Something is... Something crazy like absolutely, that, I can't remember the number. Absolutely yeah. horrifying statistic. So yeah. I'm not saying this is the only solution, but I think self-investment is so paramount to this, which is sort of, you know, taking taking sort of the work-life balance in isolation. If you take work in, in isolation, you're missing the life bit out, yeah. which is so crucial. So the self-investment thing, I think, is so important. So I'll go into explain a bit mm-hmm. more about that. So... Yeah. How do you deposit in your emotional bank account? How do you deposit in your emotional bank account? Is it is it going to be at work or is it something outside of work? And I think it's so, so important that we do... It's, it's like what you're talking about, the, the outside work thing. But it, it goes even deeper. So we've all got a personal development plan. You've got one. Ebra, you've got one as well. <laughs> you know, it's personal. Inverted commas, personal development. But that's not contrary to my personal development. That's contrary to my p- professional development, right? So I become a better doctor... I have this learning needs and I'm going to put that in my, in my PDP. Great. But I'm talking about a personal development plan. Something to do with your life, which is completely different. Okay? Which, which, which is about depositing in your emotional bank account. So we've all got, like, you know, things we haven't got around to doing or things we want to do there's no time for. But w- what I'm saying is the self-investment thing. You know, d- just carve out 10 minutes a day. Deposit in, and that's a deposit in your account. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be anything. It doesn't have to be massive. The internet is a great. There's so many resources. You do literally anything. You know, set up. You know, if you dreamed of setting up a business and things like all these sorts of things. You know, ten minutes. It doesn't. And if if you you know your life is too busy, it can just be like a project with your kids that you're setting up or whatever it is, or you know your partner, or whatever it is, or it's a commitment. Ten minutes a day. You're going to so do something this. that's important for you. Yeah, and that's. I think that's how you're gonna. How we're gonna. How we are all gonna deposit in our emotional bank accounts and that that's what helped me on a personal level like i've so I've, what's your thing so well i've got a few things okay. crazy crazy so i do minimum of 10 minutes exercise in the morning minimum okay 10, 10 minutes in the morning uh and i because my commute is so long like, okay. like overall yeah, i'm commuting like two hours a day i can't just do nothing basically so i'm getting through loads and loads of books we're looking at about around about a book a week ish that sort of thing and just using that time, and um, and there's this great app, Duolingo. I don't know if you've heard yep. of it. Yeah, to learn languages, free, point of access, easy. Just download it. I'm trying to learn like a couple of languages as well, just to like d- deposit in my emotional bank account. There are. And but how is that? How, what, okay, yeah. so I, I, I get that. Yeah. So you're doing something that's making you grow. Yeah. How is that? How is that? I mean, I don't know. A cynic might say, "Well, that's just giving yourself extra stuff to do." Okay, it makes you say it makes you happy. Yeah, but does it really? No. So, how is it? So, how is so it? So I'll explain. So 
So the, going back to the relationship with yourself, really, really important. So let's say I do a habit. Today I do a habit, right? Great, I did it. Tick in the box. And that's building up trust with myself. So if I'm keeping up with commitment, I'm building up trust with myself. I trust myself to execute on stuff, for example. So let's say, um, you know, it, it can even happen in the workplace. <laughs> I'd be trying to do it myself. Biscuits at, at lunch <laughs> in my practice. I'm like, you know, no, no biscuits at lunch. <laughs> There's loads of biscuits. I'm like, don't do it. You're better than this. Don't do it. <laughs> okay. That's building a trust with, within myself. But, but what the, the point I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm trying to make is that that constant trust within yourself builds up sort of, you know, the, the, the strength within yourself. So when you have that awful, awful day, and we all have it, like, occasionally. There's, I remember one day I was super, super angry and, like, I was just fuming that this had happened. I couldn't believe it happened to a patient. And then, you know, it was awful, basically, for the patient. It was also, you know, her, we had to clear up this huge mess that happened from wherever it happened from anyway. And then I was sort of like, you know what? Actually, actually, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I sort of thought, actually, you, you, you sort of took a step back. Is took took a step back in terms of I mean the other stuff that's really helped is the gratitude other stuff you when you're able to take a step back but you're building trust in yourself that actually that day wasn't that bad I I trust myself to do what I did in my personal life which sort of definitely relates to my professional life and so you know when, when whenever that mistake has happened you sort of do get a lot of you get a lot of colleagues you see them sort of bash the hell out of each other out of themselves I, I, you know I was awful I was an awful clinician I made the mistake I, I could have missed something. We're going to miss something in general practice. Every doctor, regardless of general practice or whatever, you're going to miss something. You're going to miss something. But it's sort of building that trust within yourself. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who might disagree with this. Well, I think, but, so, you, I, 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 to, you know, what, what you've talked about makes absolute sense. It's, yeah. it's really important to do that. And what that looks like is different for everyone. Yeah. What that, the, the things that you do mm. for yourself mm. outside of work are really important. But it's interesting, and maybe it comes back to this start with why as well. Because mm. there, there is also something in, you know, what we spend, uh, like a third of our life or something at work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, there's, there's also something important about having, mm. being connected perhaps with your why and making sure mm. that at work, you are in general, more mm. often than not, ha- happy mm. as much as you can mm. be, um, or at least not unhappy. Mm. Um, and it's sometimes... Uh, what's really difficult is to get there mm. to get to that point mm. because of the pressures that we work in mm. so and so i guess there's two parts to this question maybe mm. um one is how do we find that with work and how do we realize because sometimes it can be really insidious mm. um that we are not there and change is needed yeah i'll, I'll chip in if that's right yeah. um so i think it's important from, from my so this, i can only speak from my personal experience I'm, I'm no, we know experts in this uh, i think um so my journey with this was um, I had to recognise that actually there are things that I can change about myself um, and there are things that are more system-wide that I can't necessarily change. Or maybe I can influence, but it's more of a kind of outside of my control and a bit more Steering convoluted control, about yeah, yeah, how, okay. how you influence that. And when it comes down to the things outside my control, understanding that, you know, I think it's important to recognise, maybe put this on to, to, to park this for a moment, but kind of talk about the system and actually how we change the system to work better for us and by the by our patients. And this is that point about resilience, resilience. as well, of, of like um, we shouldn't be sweeping system changes under the carpet and resilience of people Me- being the thing that needs to happen. Exactly, and kind of making the system, for example, uh, meeting our basic, you know, our basic kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, making sure there's parking, making sure there's toileting, making sure there's space to where we can, you know, in our workplaces and make sure those things are met. Biscuits, maybe? Bis- Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I would say... That moderation, moderation. <laughs> I'm happy with the moderation. Uh, just having a space where you can talk to your colleagues about, you know, that little thing that you just kind of came across for a minute or two, actually, for me, is actually really helpful for my own psychological well-being when I was in, when I was working in hospital. And kind of moving... So that's on one side about kind of system. I don't really... Uh, you know, there's a lot more uh, that's come about, that, particularly mm. with the well-being report that's come out uh, yeah. from NHS that kind of looks into that and how we then apply those kind of uh, recommendations into practice is uh, you know, another whole discussion that I, I mm-hmm. won't get to here. But when we look at kind of ourselves about what we do, so one thing that really kind of helped me, because I always think to myself, you know, what, what makes me happy? Um, kind of from a professional point of view, also personal point of view. And I, I came across this video by Dan Gilbert. It's quite old now. It's on TED. It's called uh, The Surprising Science of Happiness. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. if you've come across this. And so he talks about sure, yeah. this really interesting concept about um, kind of the hedonistic treadmill. 
And it kind of links into my own sort of like coping mm. strategies, but how do we not just cope, but not just survive, but thrive. No, not just cope, but kind of make the best of where we are. And actually, it made me realise, and this is kind of why I got into a lot of the well-being stuff that I'm doing now, uh, you know, with the kind of uh, AIT committee, it, the training committee, is that actually it made me realise that we need to be focusing uh, on educating us. I, I had to educate myself about what are the things that I'm doing that are health that are that are health that are healthy that are going to give me long-term happiness rather than this kind of short-term happiness because there's this concept called the hedonistic treadmill mm. where basically you will do things and it'll give you a short spike in happiness but then you'll go your your happiness levels then reset back and it's like for example they, they talk about kind of lottery winners they won the lottery but again six months down the line their happiness levels was just as it was before they won the lottery mm. and actually what are the things that give you that long-term happiness so for and I think he talks about this really interesting concept like there's a menu of options a menu your choices and you have to kind of try I, I tried different things mm. some physical activity connecting with people all these other things and then realizing what worked for me and what and I for me personally that's given me that sort of that that kind of um, contentment that sort of fulfillment mm. and then applying that to my job has made me a lot easier because then I can take the space and I'm more happy with myself from a personal point of view when I'm now interacting professionally I'm more secure and be able to be a bit more confident or kind of I don't know have the courage to really kind of sometimes ask those questions about why we are doing what we're doing so that's kind of led yeah. to me where I am today interesting so, yeah okay yeah that's really insightful and yeah depression yeah I was gonna sort of come in there basically about where does happiness come from what is happiness um and sort of these short-term gains and we often talk about the media advertising that you know we need certain things to be happy uh, we, yeah. we need stuff. You need stuff. Like we need stuff. Buyer, you have a new car, you'll be happy. And we know that from studies, we're looking at this. Like, yeah. You'll be happy for a short period of time, a couple of yeah. months. You get into, uh, you buy a new house, you'll, yeah. you'll be uh, happy. Yeah. For, but actually, you then, you, you will reset. So yeah. should I carry on? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, two game changers for me that I sort of got into doing. And this is part of what, what Rupi said as well. He was on your, your podcast before as well. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he does um, daily gratitude. So it sounds like a... Sounds I, a, new agey. Yeah. It sounds new agey. Sounds like airy-fairy, you know, very nonsensey, basically, evidence-based, whatever, you know. But this is absolutely key for, for seeing what really matters in life. And mm-hmm. also, I'll come back to the mortality thing after confronting your own mortality, but um, the gratitude thing. So what, what are you grateful for every day, most likely? And, you know... You, I sort of did it every day, and most of the time it was like, you know what, it was great I had running water today. You know, it's a completely, like, you know, a lot of us worry, oh, you know, the Wi-Fi went down, Emus went down, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it does go down for me as well, don't worry. <laughs> like, but um, the, point, the point is is that, you know, you're, you're seeing these things, and you're like, not everyone has these things we take for granted, especially, like, here like in the UK. Like, uh, like I always think of, like a, like, a gratitude morning, like, ritual thing. Sometimes I just do it in my mind. I'm like... Wow, I woke up today. Like number one, got eyes, got roof over my head, body works, <laughs> running water, food in the fridge, clothes on my back. I've got tra- money to get tra- transport. I've got a job that, you know, I'm I'm lucky to do what I love, <laughs> um, and you know all these things. I'm just like I put you put them all together, and you think, you know what? Actually, I haven't got it all bad. <laughs> it's, it's not. I mean, it, it could be a lot worse. There's people in the world living in horrible circumstances. No freedom of speech, no democracy, no basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Oh, yeah. People in the world who who don't have the basic things that we often take for granted, the Maslow's hierarchy of of needs, basically. And just getting that perspective and just sometimes, you know, some days, honestly, I feel like, you know, I can't be bothered doing the gratitude thing because sometimes you get exhausted from doing too much. So the insight's too gratitude. But, you know, it just gets a bit of perspective. And from that, you sometimes see you sometimes yeah you know, sometimes you, you sort of see what what really matters in life and you sort of see things in a different perspective sort of you sometimes see well you know what emis went down and you see things that are in your control and outside your control and it's sort of like well there's some things i don't have any control of there's some things i do have control of and did i execute on the stuff that i feel that was in my control fine that's great the other thing is about mortality basically as doctors we see it every day and especially as a junior doctor you saw it a lot in secondary care you know where people would just just die and it you know sometimes you know you did everything for the patient you all the interventions you got the specialists down everything happened and and they died they might be young they might be old but when you confront your own mortality you're sort of like you know i i might not have long 
I might not have long on this planet at all. Like, you know, my time could be cut short. And, you know, if I think, you know, if I, uh, I sometimes think about the, the week I, I went through or sometimes the day you think, if today was my last day, would I be happy? And it's, it's sort of taking a really morbid look at it. But you then you filter out everything that doesn't matter. You filter out other people's expectations, pressure from other people, you know, little, you know, jabs people had during the day, uh, annoying referrals that didn't get through, people, things that didn't get sorted out. These just fall by the wayside. And then you focus on what really matters. Yeah, I'd go to add to that, that I think mm. perspective on kind of the bigger picture as well and that mortality bit that kind of, you know, we, we know our job is very privileged in the sense that we actually get to see, uh, uh, you know, as, as silly sounds, we help people through some of the most, you know, the most fortune that comes across as part of life. You know, when people, I, I did a job in uh, psych oncology, which is basically helping um, put down the patients who have mm. cancer through the psychological problems they have with that. And for me, it was a massive eye open in the sense that there are things that, ha- that uh, the health, uh, health problems that occur to people through no fault of their own through which they had to live through and they, they do you know, a lot of patients do survive cancer with increasing survival rates but the problem is that they're left sometimes with some really mm. you know you know essentially some people are maimed you know they're, they're, and it's it makes you realize appreciate the things that you have and really i think in our jobs as well we see kind of the wider picture you know the other yesterday i spoke with two people who'd recently been bereaved by people very close to them and it makes you realize actually i've got you know i've got these people around me who matter to me and actually, why, you know, why am I, you know, they, these are the people that matter. And, you know, it makes you realise that you have to appreciate what you have and not what you necessarily don't have. And when you get into that thinking of realising what you have and then confronting your mortality, kind of, mm. you know, if I wasn't here tomorrow, what would they write on my yeah. gravestone? Yeah. It kind of leaves that sort of thing that actually I need to go. And then that leads into yeah. the kind of why about why we do what we do. And you've got to make a, go and make yeah. a difference. I mean, you, we, we always look at like, you, you often see it on social media all the time. You know, so-and-so is getting, you know, married. They've got children they've got this car they've got this house and this is happening and this is happening why isn't it happening to me why am I, why am i not they look happy why am i not happy and it comes from a different place extrinsic rather yeah. than intrinsic yeah. it comes from a different place and when you have the right purpose in your life it's a happiness that almost you know can't be bought after you've got the basic needs mastered mm. um and you know that it's a, it's a fulfillment thing, really, isn't it? Yeah. And where are you getting that fulfillment from? And yeah. actually, that fulfillment you can look for from it from other places. But actually, if you look deep within yourself, and as a, it's a very uncomfortable thing to do. And yeah. I've got to say, this process wasn't easy for myself. I don't hard. know how you felt. It was hard. Depeche, but yeah. once you, you know, with the jobs that I've done and having to do that really hard, you know, you know, taking yourself under my script, really challenging yourself about, mm. you know, there's lots of stuff on the internet about kind of looking at yourself, and then you realize actually what makes me happy. And what are the things that I have that other, you know, and then taking away that sort of social media thing of thinking they've got this, they've got that. Why don't I have that? And I think I, I completely agree that we mm. just have to look inwards rather than outwards. Mm. That's really interesting. Uh, where, if So there might be people listening, uh, GP or medical student or trainee or even, you know, non-medics. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> non-medics. Um, who might be listening to this and this resonates with them. Mm. Do you have any resources for them that you recommend that they could read mm. or watch or... I mean, I'll send you a link for for, for the podcast um, podcast episode, different one. Yeah. Lewis Howe's one about fifteen minutes on happiness and where it comes from. Yeah. It is. It is. You know, it opens the, the podcast opens with it is a state of mind. It is perspective. It's not a place you go to. It's not a just destination. It's the constant journey that you're on. You don't you don't travel to happiness. You don't get to a place and say I'm happy. End of. No no no. Life goes on. Challenges will always be there. De- depends. Doesn't matter who you are. Like you know, the millionaires as well. Like you know, I, I worry. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know. One of the things you worry about. You know, you wouldn't think about worrying if you were a millionaire. You're like, who do you trust? <laughs> like everyone knows yeah. you got money. You know, yeah. all these. But you know, we've all got problems of different magnitude, and there always will be problems. You know, general practice. That's life, really, yeah, isn't it? general <laughs> practice, job, life, whatever. And it's not a not a place. It's not a destination. It's it's a journey, and that podcast, fifteen minutes, is a perfect one. Okay, and I kind of like Lewis Howes. He goes through a lot of personal journeys, and they're all about managing life and yeah, okay. anything from like money and anything for all different athletes, actors, yep. normal people, scientists, whatever. 
but that's quite a good resource. Excellent. So we've got that. We've also touched on Simon Sinek, Start With Why. And yeah. I think he's got a TED Talk as well. He's got lots of TED Talks. He's got some other books now as well. Yeah, yeah. he has. Um, uh, what, how about you? Do you recommend anything? What do you uh, recommend? Well, Someone who might be feeling in a bit of a rut or right. not feel like um, I, I, getting the context that you've talked about, but you know, mm. wants to get into a bit more meat of this. So... Um, I've talked about the kind of the Dan Gilbert kind of the on YouTube the science surprising science of happiness uh, about um, the, the what motor uh, sorry the motivational uh, who's that again sorry I can't remember the um, the Lewis House was Li- it? Who are you thinking of? Um, the Autonomy, Mastery and Purpose. Oh, oh, I couldn't tell you that one. I can't remember the top of my head, but yeah, there's a great TED, TED, TED we'll, talk on that. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll put it uh, as a link when, when, once you there's remember. There's one other one as well, uh, which is, um, I know it sounds really silly, Tony Robbins. Um, oh, he's, the, he's the big man. Bit, bit, big well, guy. It's Robbins. interesting, it's quite out there. <laughs> Some but people actually, might be rolling their eyes. Yeah, yeah rolling their eyes, because it is a kind, of like, kind of a guru sort of thing. But I thought, you know, as silly as it sounds, I think there is sometimes, taking it with a pinch of salt, but sometimes looking at just being open to different ideas and perspectives about how to look at things. And sometimes mm-hmm. I think there's a lot, of, a lot to be said about framing, about how you frame things mm-hmm. for yourself personally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And kind of just going out there and having your own little journey about mm-hmm. kind of if, if this is something that interests you, spending the time to actually just go out there and explore the resources and see yeah. what connects with you. Because there are things mm-hmm. which connect and there are things which don't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there's I can't remember who's written this book. Uh, but, you know, happiness of pursuit or pursuit of happiness. Yeah. If you just play with that concept in your mind, pursuit of happiness, happiness of pursuit, which sort of goes into what I was talking about before. Um, sort of a couple of points um, I was going to bring up was, you know, I mean, we, we don't talk about this because, you know, we're medics or whatever, and people don't talk about it in general. I don't know whether it's like a British thing or like an international thing, but I always feel like people should just write down a figure. How much money do they need um, every year to fulfill their lifestyle that they're happy with? How much money do they need? Um, and sort of just think about, you think about what really, 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 really matters at this point, at the at this point. So are you, you know, do you need, you know, without going on to the, the hedonistic stuff about material stuff, but, you know, do you need this many clothes uh, and, you know, this many cars are or whatever? Are you going to marry condo me, are you? No, no, <laughs> no. Be sparking joy. No, but, but like, um, you know, how much how much do you, do you need to be happy? And sort of, is is that to... Is that for your lifestyle or other people's expectations or, or like, you know, to show to other people because mm-hmm. you're not happy within yourself or secure with yourself, which is another thing. Um, and then the other thing I was going to talk about is this Japanese concept. I'm, I'm not an expert on this. Any sort of Japanese philosophy, <laughs> like culture yeah. uh, experts, people who are actually Japanese, apologies if I've mi- misconstrued this concept. But um, It's not Ikigai. Ikigai, yeah. Oh, is it Ikigai? Ikigai, yeah. Ikigai, you know Ikigai. So, I mean, I'm not going to confess not a, about it. It's not a guy who's like, yeah. a little bit disgusting. No, no. Ikigai no. <laughs> <laughs> guy. So, yeah, I mean, the full concept I sort of jotted down that make up this thing is sort of you've got the balance right when you've got the balance between what you love uh, what the world needs, what you're good at, and what are you paid for. So it's like that intersection of that Venn diagram. Yeah, intersection of that Venn diagram, which I think you sort of... But you, you're not going to get there unless you explore possibilities. And it's, it's sort of like... I'm going to cite another one. There's a, there's a great um, marketing and entrepreneur in, in the US called Gary Vaynerchuk. Really, really good. Some of it, he does loads and loads of content. Um, and sort of... He was, um, he was saying, you know... It's ice cream shop mentality. So if you go into an ice cream shop, how do you know what your favourite flavour is? And the basic thing is... try them all. Yeah, you've got to try them all, exactly. You're not going to know, are you? Like, you just got to try them all. And, like, you know, if something's not going to work, yeah, of course it's not going to work. Uh, you can try something else, and actually, yeah, I really But then like if that you one. try them all, you'll get brain freeze. you get brain freeze, yeah. <laughs> you might get diabetes as well, but... <laughs> so at least you found it. At least you <laughs> So, yeah, don't, <laughs> don't take it literally and go to an ice cream shop, but, yeah. Yeah, that's really usually I think it's kind of the right I think that leads on to something I kind of that really helped for me was about the right attitude about having having that kind of the, the attitude to kind of uh, approach things with an open mind and not kind of sometimes be so closed in our ways and once we have if you can then kind of approach things you know without preconceptions and essentially having low expectations. Because I think one of the mm. things I found as well is that if you have low expectations, don't get me wrong, you can have high hopes for things, but mm. low expectations, mm. um, I think there's a lot to be said that you, one, won't be... Di- you, you, mm. It's very difficult to be disappointed if you're not coming in expecting mm. something. 
And I think mm. that kind of goes for the kind of general NHS mm. that when if we, we've, we've set expectations quite high, mm. so then when naturally so occasionally people do get disappointed, yeah. it then leads to that kind of that that kind mm. of conflict between mm. the two. I mean, I, I always think about this, this is the thing I always think about whenever it comes to almost anything I put out on, you know, whether it's like social media or research or whatever. If I improved one person's clinical practice or improved one patient's like quality of life or whatever it was or changed one patient's life, I'm, I'm or anyone's sort of like day or whatever it was, I'm happy, done, happy. If it's just one, I don't care. You know, it, it's great if it affects, it helps lots of people. But if you start at one, <laughs> you can never be disappointed. Well, you <laughs> might not get there as well. <laughs> you might not get there. You've got to set some kind of... You've you got to set a, a standard. A, 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 well, yeah, you've yeah. got to... Yeah, I yeah. Think but low expectations. Looks, but high hopes. So high hopes, so yeah, absolutely. You, can, you know, you can do the best you can, but also yeah. kind of realising that, you know, you're not yeah. expecting... Yeah, you've got to have... Um, it's, it's, it's definitely important to have the ambition, but like have sort of um, low expectations because that is just... It's just fuel for disappointment. You're just going to uh, be... And this brings me on to one of the other things that I found really interesting along my own little journey about this to where I am today. I'm 20 years old. I'm thinking, actually, failure. Because a lot of the times, particularly in medicine, we are quite high-achieving individuals. We mm. never... Like, well, until kind of I got past medical... You know, once I finished medical school, I, I didn't really understand what the concept of failure really felt like. Kind of trying something that you really want to do and then not getting it. And actually, once you kind of realise that, particularly with the more kind of softer stuff, not with, pe- not with patients particularly, because I think there's the failure rate you know you can't you need a good you don't want a failure rate with patients but with yourself being realizing that actually failure is part of that process about yeah. that growth and oh, realizing yeah. that to to if you want to go and really push stuff outside your comfort zone and i think for me a bit a bit of things living outside your comfort zone really does make you mm. realize that actually you know like you said the ice cream what works what doesn't work what really works for me mm. is that you really have to push yourself out there and then sometimes you realize you know what yeah i've tried this it doesn't work but at least you can say you've done you've done that I, I think yeah. so. So another thing which is interesting, I think Matthew Syed talks about our relationship with failure mm. and how, as a society, we're so obsessed oh, yeah. with success. And so that's yeah. a really interesting yeah. thing as well. Is that the, the black box refer- thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, it's how you how you define failure? Yeah, um, and, and our relationship with that perhaps yeah. as well. Yeah, um, we. Yeah. We've talked about so many interesting things. But a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of tangents. <laughs> Very nebulous. Yeah. <laughs> but it's food for thought, I think. You say that, but we've, we've covered lots of interesting things. So we've gone through you know, the importance of academic training and how it's perceived and how mm. hopefully there will be more to improve the perception of general practice and the strength of the evidence of general practice. Yeah. And then we've also meandered, I, I think, into you know, the importance of you know, work and life and how we can mm. consider those things. And also this concept of being happy and how we're on this hedonistic treadmill. It's been really interesting going into that and it's these concepts that you've gone into. Can I add so one point to that? Actually? On, I think yeah. it's really, it's just a really quick, so I think this all sets a quite, a quite nice foundation of thinking about these kind of bigger concepts about kind of where medicine is heading in the future yeah. as well. And I think sometimes thinking of medicine, not just from a kind of a, a you know, a kind of a very kind of, sort of what's in front of you but kind of the big thing what is a life well lived and yeah. how we as kind of healthcare professionals can mm-hmm. enable people to, 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 to do that I think that's a big why of kind of what, mm. what we do why we do well, at least for me anyway mm. why we do, the bigger picture is about why we do what we do and looking at it from that perspective I think going forward I think maybe some people have thought about how we can in our little sphere of influence but also biggest you know joining together about how we can reframe medicine maybe of, of thinking about how we address those interesting and there's lots of stuff happening in that i hope yeah um, plenty yeah <laughs> plenty. well that's like eight podcasts right <laughs> yeah, so lots of food for thought there and i hope you found that useful and you've got some useful resources now so um i leave it with saying a big big thank you for joining us in the pod um dr ibrahim muller and um dr depresh gopal i wish you all the very best and thank you for your insights and you know, thank, thank you, you. No, thank you thanks. For, for inviting us. You know, we just yeah. we, we are trainees. We're not we're not at that stage. We're not got CCT yeah. yet. So, yeah. but, <laughs> but I think it's really important been, to have this voice. So, yeah. so thank you for. It's been a massive pleasure, pleasure and honour to yeah. be sat here. Well done. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for listening. Um, have a ha- great and happy day. And in the interest of gratitude, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>